Well, good afternoon, church. And um, as Emma mentioned, my name is Charlie. I'm one of the pastoral staff here as well. And let me add my welcome to hers on this glorious uh, Good Friday afternoon. That was the first of three passages which we managed to persuade Richard E. Grant to read for us uh, this afternoon. And uh, clearly, Good Friday is all about Jesus. That's why we're here. Um, But what I'd like to do um, as we look at these three passages is to use them really as an opportunity to look at some of the fascinating supporting characters that Luke, the historian, introduces us to as he tells the story of what happened uh, that Easter. And the first one that I'd like us to look at is the villain of the story, not Pontius Pilate, uh, but King Herod. King Herod, as a name, is, uh, is up there with sort of Darth Vader and Hitler as, as some of the worst baddies uh, that have ever been involved in any story. Think of the name Herod, and we immediately think of the villain in the Nativity story. Um, that was King Herod the Great, um, the King Herod in the reading that we've just had's father. So Herod the Great's um, son was King Herod Antipas. Um, in fact, King Herod the Great had four sons, all named Herod. It was clearly a very popular name at the time. Um, although, uh, I must confess, I don't know too many Herods today. A quick uh, search of a baby naming website confirmed my suspicions that Herod isn't so popular a name as it once was. And it's not difficult to see why uh, when you consider what these kings Herod actually did. Uh, king Herod's father, King Herod the Great, tried to kill Jesus when he was born. And now this King Herod is the recurring bad guy all the way through as you read Luke's gospel in chapter 3. John the Baptist rebuked King Herod for his sort of dodgy private life and so King Herod had him imprisoned and eventually beheaded. Uh, In chapter 9, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples um, and King Herod got wind of this and was nervous about this growing religious movement which he thought he'd tried to stamp out in beheading John the Baptist. Uh, In chapter 13, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and the Pharisees come to warn him that King Herod again wants to kill him. And Jesus uh, insults King Herod. Go tell that fox that I'm going to carry on going until I reach my goal. So all the way through Luke's gospel, King Herod has been just brooding in the background as the villain of the story, which is why we're meant to pick up on the significance of that verse 8. For a long time, Herod had been wanting to see Jesus. Of course he had. Of course he had. Partly because, as it explains, he hoped that he might see something special, a miracle or a sign of some sort, but partly because he wanted him dead. So what is happening as we reach the climax of Luke's gospel is that the hero and the villain of the story finally meet. It's like so many great stories. Finally, we meet at last. They're sharing a stage at the same place at the same time, and it's meant to be a tense moment. We've got to stop and ask, what's Jesus doing there? Why is Jesus in front of King King Herod in the first place? He's been arrested in Jerusalem. He's been tried before the Jewish authorities, uh, the Sanhedrin. And then he's been hauled before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Now, the way that the the Roman Empire managed its territories was to assume and absorb um, the existing local government. So King Herod and the Sanhedrin governed underneath Um, the overarching Roman authorities. And really, as far as as Pontius Pilate was concerned, this was a local religious dispute, something he'd really rather not be involved in. But the Pharisees really wanted Jesus dealt with properly, so they brought him to the highest authority, which was Pilate, and they told him uh, what they thought would get his attention. He's opposing Rome, 
He's opposing paying taxes to Caesar. Of course, that wasn't true. Only five minutes previously in chapter 20, Jesus had uttered those famous words, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. He encouraged people to pay their taxes. But the Pharisees thought, this is how we're going to get him. But Pilate wasn't interested. He couldn't see that this was really important for him uh, to, to be bothering with. And so when he found out that he could palm him off to King Herod, well, that made his life easier. So King Herod, just as the Passover festival is about to begin, finds this ragged-looking itinerant preacher dragged before him. Why? Well, the whole of Jesus' arrest and trial comes down to one thing and one thing alone, and it was the fact that Jesus claimed to be king. That's what this is. It's the trial of a pretender to the throne. In verse 2 of chapter 23, it says that they claimed that he was the Messiah. He opposes Caesar. He's claiming to be a king in opposition to Caesar. And what Jesus is doing is subverting our nation. And Pilate says, is that really true? Are you really some sort of, if you, are you really some sort of king? And if, if he was, he was probably the worst king Pilate had ever seen. I mean, remember when Jesus' ministry is all about the kingdom all the way through. When he began his public ministry, his message was repent and believe because the kingdom is here. In fact, rewind even before that. The reason why King Herod's father, King Herod the Great, wanted him dead in the first place was because the three wise men came and said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? All about the kingdom all the way through. And so here was the announcement of a new rival kingdom. As far as Pilate can see, though, It was a pretty unimpressive-looking kingdom with a pretty unimpressive-looking king. No other king has ever been born in a barn and ridden a donkey. Normally, kings have an army or influence or at least some money, and Jesus had none of those things. So Pilate says, is this really true? Are you really the king of the Jews? Well, in which case, you better go and see King Herod because he really is the king of the Jews. And that's how he got here. That's how he's standing before Herod. And Herod was pleased. This should be interesting. Perhaps he'll perform a miracle for me. And now just imagine how easy it would have been at this stage for Jesus to have got out of his predicament. Uh, If you were here on Sunday uh, last week, Christine was making the point that Jesus wasn't so much a victim in all of this as a volunteer. But imagine if he was a victim, well, he would have tried to defend himself here. He was being falsely accused. You would have done everything within your power to try to set him straight. And the other day I was walking down the street and I overheard somebody trying to justify themselves very loudly on their mobile phone. And I couldn't help but overhearing. And what they said was, I just can't see that I've done anything wrong. He was adamant. And that's what, what happens when we're falsely accused, isn't it? We try to clear our name. But Jesus was silent. He could have said something, but he didn't. Or he could have performed. He could have just performed for King Herod. He wanted a miracle. Well, he could have given him one. He could have said to him, yes, okay, I plead guilty as charged. You may be the real king of Judea, but I am the king of kings. Uh, But if you let me go, well, I'll perform a miracle for you. What sort of miracle did you have in mind? King Herod wanted to see a miracle. Jesus could have given him one. But no, nothing. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Herod ridiculed him, dressed him up in a purple robe fit fit for a king, and sent him back to, to Pontius Pilate, whereupon they became friends. Did you notice that? Isn't that rather sort of sickening? 
Herod and Pilate had been enemies before, and now they had a newfound friendship. And somebody pointed out the twisted irony of that. The fact that uh, with Jesus on the way to the cross, it seems that reconciliation can't help but be breaking out all over the place, even in that circumstance. And Pilate had tried to get rid of the situation, and it had boomeranged straight back to him. So he totally caves under pressure from the crowds to give them what they want. He releases Barabbas to them, a man who is actually guilty of the things that Jesus has been charged with. I mean, Barabbas is actually guilty of stirring up the crowds and inciting people to rebellion. Pilate knows it's the wrong thing to do. And he appeals to the crowds three times, but verse 23, with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that Jesus be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Just strip away whatever existing knowledge that we have of why Jesus died. I mean, if we've been around church or we've been a Christian or known anything about Christianity for any length of time, then we might have a number of different answers to the question, why did Jesus die? Well, he died for us. He died to save us from our sins. He died in our place. He died to absorb God's wrath against inhumanity and injustice in the world. Yes, yes, yes. All of those are true. But he died here not because of any of those reasons. What was he being charged with? None of that. He died because he was subverting the nation. He died because they recognized that there was being established here a different kingdom, a rival kingdom. He died because he claimed to be a king. This encounter with King Herod shows us who King Jesus really is. Thank you, Charlie.